Welcome to If the Walls Could Talk, a series of conversations about smart buildings, connecting key thinkers in the property world with each other and you. I'm Ari Berendrecht, founder and CEO at WiredScore, the certification company dedicated to making the world's buildings smarter and better connected. So far in this series, we've heard from a range of experts, including John Gilbert of Rudin Management Company, the major New York commercial landlord, David Armour, head of commercial markets in the U.S. for Siemens, and Anna Cunha, international real estate director for the Derns Group, the global engineering consultancy. In this episode, we're going to take stock and pick out some of the key learnings from those conversations. And I'm very excited that joining me to do that are Jules Barker, director of product at Wired Score, and Dave Miller, the head of Boston and Washington, D.C. at Wired Score. Welcome, Dave and Jules. How are you doing? Great. Good to be on the other side of the microphone. <laughs> Excellent. Um, as I mentioned, the, the first topic in this series focuses on how to approach creating a smart building. And we spoke with John and David and Anna about this, and it was really amazing to get their different perspectives from, from various sides of the real estate ecosystem. Um, but I want to talk about what we learned uh, and, and, and learn from your experience as well. Dave, why don't we start with you? Um, what was one of the biggest takeaways that you had or themes that you noticed from the conversations we saw? Yeah, thanks, Ari. I think there was actually three probably key themes, recurring thought uh, things that we heard from each of the uh, folks that we spoke with. Um, those things probably were the outcome-driven approach and the importance of using that uh, to, to um, guide your smart building journey. Um, the importance of a converged network uh, as the foundation of your smart infrastructure and the importance of data within the smart building environment. Can you talk more about what an outcomes-driven approach means when it comes to designing or, or operating or, or redeveloping a building? Sure. Yeah, I think an outcomes-driven approach really focuses with the problem first instead of technology first. And um, I think Anna actually said, you know, you have to think about the problem before you think about technology, right? And so an outcomes-driven approach um, really focuses on, you know, how do we make this building perform better? How do we make it more sustainable? How do we make the experience for tenants better? And what do we want this building to do? And then use technology to actually deliver those desired outcomes. And Dave, I think that, I think there's a theme there that runs through all three of the things you said. That Anna talked about the importance of planning and she talked about the importance of planning in, in this bit, she talked about how you've got to sit down as a client to work out what you want your building to do and start from that. And that, that's the outcomes driven approach. But really, I, what I think was fascinating about that is it ties to the other two themes that you've talked about as well. It's not just planning what you want the building to do. It's what it means is not jumping in feet first and deploying technology because you've got to make sure it's achieving the right outcomes for people and that you're putting the right infrastructure in to enable it so that the data can be shared between systems and drawn out of it. I think that is one of the fundamental problems historically with smart buildings uh, is that um, it's easy to get excited about a piece of technology, uh, you know, a point solution, if you will. But really, in order to have a cohesive technology strategy that actually delivers ROI, that actually makes the building better, 
perform better and more enjoyable, healthy, safe, whatever it may be, you've got to start with these outcomes. And so, you know, I, I love this, this term, a, a visioning exercise, right? To sit down, to bring all the stakeholders of a building together, property managers, building engineers, tenants, acquisition folks, cleaners, security, everyone that touches this building and say, how can we make this building perform better? And, and that's in part, I think, because one other thing I think we heard from our, our three guests is that they all think of smart in a slightly different way. And, and that's, what, again, why what you just said is really important, because you need to get all the stakeholders together to say, what do you want your smart building to be? And then we'll design that smart building to achieve those outcomes. But because different people want different things from a, from a building and from a smart building, you've got to start with what do you want that building to be? Anna mentioned defining the mission of a smart building and, and, and you guys have talked about a visioning exercise and defining outcomes, but to put more specificity around that, um, what, what can a building do? Like in what categories should we be defining what the building should do? How are you, how do you think about, if you're sitting down and whiteboarding with your colleagues to talk about what the mission of a building should be, is this just about sustainability um, or is it, is it more, more to it? Yeah, I think sustainability is definitely a really, really important one of those outcomes. And one of the things we've, we hear generally out there in the market is that a building can do all sorts of things. A developer can do all sorts of things in terms of processes and materials to achieve great sustainability outcomes. But the only way you can optimize whole life carbon is to deploy technology into a building. But that's definitely not the only purpose of SMART. And I thought John Gilbert um, framed this quite well with the three outcomes, which is very similar to the four outcomes that WideScore talks about with SmartScore. Uh, and John talked about sustainability being number one and then creating attractive real estate as number two and then taking care of your customers as number three. And that's quite similar to the way that WideScore thinks about it with sustainability being there still. And then the other three being cost efficiency, experience, and future-proofing. Let's jump to infrastructure for a second. We've kind of said the first step in a smart building is to define the outcomes the building should deliver, but kind of quite practically, then we have to get to the technology. And Dave, one of the themes you picked up was around the kind of essential foundations of that building um, that you need to start moving forward on your smart journey. Could you talk a little bit about what you learned? Yeah, absolutely. I, I heard a recurring theme. I'm um, sort of one of the very first steps with physical technology in the building is around the importance of a converged network. Um, the converged network is the foundational infrastructure of a smart building. This is really about changing the way we design buildings, Ari. It's uh, taking this historical approach of 20 to 30 different siloed building networks and replacing them with a singular converged network um, that all building systems will connect to. To have that level of physical connectivity first allows you to build from there and start to actually move data through that network and through that building and expand on uh, the, the smart building journey. And I love John Gilbert's analogy there, Dave. I, I love the way he, he talked about the brain needing mm -hmm. a nervous system and, and a smart building building brain needing its nervous system as well and that being the uh, the network and and all the devices on it all feeding back information and data to the central brain i thought that was a great analogy for for why you need exactly what you just said 
Yeah, it's pretty fascinating as well to see that John Gilbert 30 years ago was building a fiber riser to carry telecom services uh, with, you know, an IT network, an IT converged network from from their basement to their tenant spaces. And now as we expand that to the OT or operational technology side of the building, um, it's it's essentially the same thing, right? It's a, it's a converged fiber network, but now all building systems. Um, really impressive to see. Uh, John is such a thought leader in that space. That helps us transition perfectly to the topic of data and the idea that if you have this brain and nervous system throughout your building, you can pull that data uh, into a central point to make better decisions and optimizations. Jules, I'll start with you. Can you reflect on, on what David Armour said in our session with him, which is data isn't useful on its own. Data converted to knowledge is useful. What does that mean in a real estate context? Yeah, that was great from David, wasn't it? I've debated about this topic with people for a few years now. Um, Broadly speaking, there's two ways you can approach data. One is to say any form of data could be converted to knowledge in the future. So for goodness sake, if there's data flows, capture it, store it, and we might want it in the future because you never know when it will be really useful to have three years worth of continuous data on a particular data point. And the other school of thought is to say, there is so much data out there. Let's start with exactly the outcomes we want to achieve. Let's only gather and process the data that will drive to give us the solutions to the questions we're answering today. And in all honesty, I don't know which the right answer is for that. The fact will be that sometimes you are better off doing the first and sometimes you're better off doing the second. But I think the key point here is that, uh, as he said, data by itself is absolutely no use. What is useful is the insight you can gather in order to do things better in the future. I would argue that by collecting data on a historical basis, you know, having two to three years of data um, might allow a landlord or developer who's not quite sure which outcomes they're looking to um, address to, to look back at that data and say, wow, I had no idea that I was spending you know, such a large amount of money on HVAC repairs, or wow, I had no idea that my elevators were using as much energy as they are. So by you collecting that data and having that sort of first step, that first tier in that smart building journey will really help inform the future smart building journey and perhaps inform how future buildings are designed and what technology they actually receive. The other fascinating part of the data question, I think, Ari, is, is about not just the value of data so much as the value of a building that has confirmed data sets. And I think it's still a little early to really understand that, but it's not difficult to see that two um, otherwise comparable buildings, the one that has 10 years worth of detailed operational data and a proper digital twin saying where everything is in that building should be worth more than the other one that doesn't have any of that. Just in the same way as if you're buying a car with the full service history, it'll be worth more than the one that's got that's got none. Super interesting. Take me further down that road. Why why is that why is that building more valuable that has the the data set with it? I think it's more valuable for two reasons. One is that you don't have to price the risk that there's something going on there. Going back to the car analogy, if you don't have the service history, you don't know whether the um, whether the engine's about to blow or when the tires were last replaced. And it's the same with a building. If you don't know the situation with all of the systems and all of the hardware in the building, you don't know whether there's a massive risk that you as a 
new owner are taking on. And that particularly is going to be true with sustainability risks, with environmental risks um, in the next few years, I believe. But the other reason is that you can be much more confident in terms of the running costs and the efficiency and the forward-looking attractiveness. Going back to one of our four outcomes of future-proofing, you can, as a buyer, be much more confident about the upside potential for that building. And Ari, I would jump in there as well to add that with the um, rise in ESG and the importance of ESG reporting for tenants, large corporate tenants are looking to be able to report on how much energy they're using, what their actual impact in the environment looks like. And to be able to track that across a global real estate portfolio with different landlords and different ways of collecting data or landlords that have no way of collecting data um, can be extremely challenging. So as a global tenant who's looking to um, reduce their carbon footprint and report that for ESG, um, having access to that data becomes a huge uh, benefit and, and potentially uh, you know, something that creates a, a value driver worth increased rent. And, and Dave, if I could just pick that, that tenant point up, which I think is really important. Anna talked at the beginning about the importance of planning, about sitting down with your clients, sitting down with the developer and working out what the outcomes you want to achieve are. She then talked later on about the importance of onboarding and that's onboarding systems, but also onboarding tenants, because a smart building is not going to achieve any of the outcomes you've set out if the systems aren't set up properly and onboarded properly, but also if the tenants aren't. And the tenants moving into the building, you've got to enable them to be able to get the most out of that building. Otherwise, um, otherwise it's not going to achieve the outcomes you set. I think it's clear that we could have an entire session on uh, data itself, uh, but we'll save that for another time. Dave, Jules, thank you so much for uh, joining me and helping to reflect on the things we learned uh, in this If the Walls Could Talk session. If you like what you hear, you can subscribe to If the Walls Could Talk using your usual podcast provider. And thanks for listening. Thank you.